0: they would be somewhat elongated
1: (laughs) so lucky i thought we could start today with something we've never talked about or tried which is a guided meditation would you be open to that yeah of course Cool, so come into a comfortable seated posture as you are. And I think we should close our eyes. And for everybody listening, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And if you know how to meditate, just let go of that. Um, I'm not gonna try and do anything right now. The great meditation teacher, Minga Rinpoche says, the best type of meditation is no meditation, so if you're a meditator or not a meditator, you're in the same position. There's there's no benefit to knowing how to meditate. And I first just want to begin by expressing my compassion to you, Loki, and everybody listening. We live in a world where productivity is demanded. You, you need to be productive or at least give off the appearance of being productive in order to survive in order to make ends meet um, To just survive in this world We need to be constantly engaged and productive, you know, even what you do on the weekend You know one of your colleagues is going to ask you what you do on the weekend? And you better have a you better have a good story about what you did <laughs> and you might want to upload that to Instagram or whatever so even when we're off we're on and our minds adapt to that you know we have a pandemic of sitting or an epidemic of sitting and so what that means is that our hip flexes are constantly under tension and the body adapts you know and it's trying to help you so the body says okay well if your hip flexes are always tense let me just flex them for you and so they become chronically flexed and In this world of incessant productivity our minds are always on and so the mind responds by saying okay i'm always going to be on and it becomes very difficult for us to simply be in the moment and to let go so what i want to do is take us into a place where we're naturally letting go and oftentimes this happens in places of extreme physical exertion so you can imagine that You've climbed up to the top of a mountain and it's taken you hours and you're incredibly sore and exhausted and you reach the summit, there's an amazing view and finally you get to sit down and you go, ah, you just get to let go. So I will encourage everybody and you, Loki, to just take a deep breath in through your nose into the stomach And as you let go, make that noise. (sighs) Just relax. And do that a couple more times in your own time. (sighs) And just allow that feeling to expand through your body. And just let go um, of the tension in your body and in your mind. It's funny, you know, with these tight hip flexes, And tight ankles it makes it difficult for us to get into a perfect squat that's quite a feat if an adult can do that but just if you think about a baby I mean those guys will just drop into a squat pick something up and drop and go right back up into standing so we've lost ranges of motion that were natively there and we've done so with our minds as well just again think about a baby how Its eyes are wide open and its mind is wide open and it's taking everything in and not judging, just wanting to know, wanting to know, so curious. So natively, we have that. We have that ability to simply take in without judging and to be entirely engrossed in the present moment. That never leaves us. And so in the same way that one can stretch to recover ranges of motion and do mobility work, what we're gonna do now is we're going to recover the mental ranges of motion that we had when we were children and to simply take in the present moment without judging it. And so I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want you to respond with words. When a baby looks out into the world inquisitively, it's not looking for a linguistic answer. It accepts whatever comes up as being the answer so we're um, we're gonna see what comes up for us when this question is asked without needing to answer it literally but just seeing what happens and so as I ask you this question you might think about how instead of looking for something instead of directing your attention let's say forward that your vision is very wide as if you're taking in the periphery and imagining that you could take in almost what's going on behind you as well. Your vision is so wide that it takes in everything in all directions. And if it helps, you can think about looking back through your head to the world behind you. So in this place of openness, the question is, what is here now when there's no problem to solve? So just see when there's nowhere to go and nothing to do. What's here? What is this? Who is aware? And from here, notice the qualities that show up, the vast expanse. The space for everything, the warmth and compassion. Notice what qualities show up and how those contrast to the qualities of a mind that's engaged constantly with productivity. What's here now when there's no problem to solve? So just feeling whatever comes up for you. Again, we're not trying to let anything happen. In fact, we're doing the exact opposite. We're trying not to try. We're simply letting go. And so you can return to this place of, ah, anytime you want to. And I think what you'll find is that it brings a quality of amazing presence that you had when you were a child. It's never lost, can always be recovered at any moment when you want it to be. And just think about how differently you act as a person in this mode rather than the mode of got to do this, got to do that. So in your own time coming back into the world, in whichever way you'd like to show up, and Lockie, I'll just ask you, in your own time to respond in whichever way you'd like.
0: Uh, when you said, uh, "Yeah, there's, there's, what do you feel in this moment when there's nothing to do?" Uh, I, I thought of beauty. mm-hmm And I thought of comfort.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, because I thought, if there's nothing to do, then let's just enjoy these surroundings. Mm. And I think you can see beauty in everything.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, And not even just see, but maybe hear it and feel it as well. Mm. Yeah. And then the comfort was, I just feel very comfortable, you know, like almost I feel nothing and that is a comfortable Mm. thing. Yeah.
1: Isn't it funny how when we remove everything, the default position is not boredom, but beauty or comfort warmth?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Is that consistent amongst everyone, do you think?
1: I think so. I think that if only you let go and see what's already here, what you'll find on the other side is not blankness. In um, Advaita Vedanta, so the path of non-duality, we call consciousness as having three qualities. Um, satchit and ananda which are existence, consciousness and bliss so that we feel that there's things are happening so there's an existence and we have an experience of those things happening that's consciousness and wonderfully in this place in this default place of there being nothing going on it's somehow rapturous and blissful you had a spontaneous calling back to a feeling of beauty and comfort. I did, not, I did not mention any of that. When we let go of everything and just see what's here, what we find on the other side is bliss. So that sometimes when we think about equanimity, it seems like, well, what a boring life, you know, to not feel anything. And actually, on the other side of peace, is joy. That you don't need to be motivated by a drive to get anywhere to feel bliss. And that as I mentioned, if you just <sighs> at any moment, you I mean you can give that to yourself. If you just <sighs> And you know this is the consciousness that a child has when it you know when it sees a bubble and is totally enraptured with it. Or just laughs for no reason whatsoever. That childlike consciousness is somehow by default, gorgeous, beautiful, warm, open, joyful. That when we remove, what we find is that it's not blank or white or clear or nothingness. But that nothingness itself has a character and that wonderfully that character is bliss.
0: Yeah, I actually felt that uh, recently with my brother's daughter, who's yes. not quite two yet. Uh, so did I. Yeah, she she'd point to the Christmas tree lights, and she'd point to a another sort of Christmasy light, and yeah, she just was like, you know, loved it, and it was, it just made me really happy, you know. These the really simple things. Yes. Uh, and. We, what else did we do um, you know even like if I jump really high mm. she'd kind of smile and <laughs> yeah I loved it and I I do think like I'd I'd like to be like that like yeah the smallest things genuinely make you know um, you uh, you find amusing or fun mm-hmm and also yeah and and the genuineness of that not uh, you you know whatever she's expressing is Mm. is real it's not she's trying no agenda yeah exactly so
1: um, yeah so I just want to reiterate that that is you are there now and it can be recovered at any time it does not require (laughs) a seven-day water-only fast, it doesn't require 10 years of meditation, months of living in a cave, or it doesn't require pharmaceutical help, psychedelics, or anything. That is a native state of being that is, there, that is cannot be destroyed and is always there without the need for training and without the need for anything external and can be always accessed at any moment when you remember that you'd like to be there. So you can choose to give yourself a little gift, and as we talked about, I think, in the last episode, sometimes it can feel selfish to give yourself a little gift, but just imagine how different your interactions are going to be with other people when you operate from this place. As you said, there's a certain level of deep authenticity and honesty that comes from somebody who embraces the world without an agenda, faces it for what it is. And again, it's incredible that in that native state, it isn't a state of fear, you might think that if you know, if I let go of everything that makes me an adult, all of that stuff is keeping me safe. So what happens if I let go of it? And what you find on the other side is actually that you can engage with the world with a different kind of wisdom—a natural wisdom that is always there, cannot be destroyed, has enough space for everything. In this, in this space, Lockie, all emotions are okay. They come up, and there's enough space. You, there's enough space for fear. There's enough space for guilt. There's enough space for anger. There's enough space for happiness. None of your emotions are, are rejected. They're all embraced. As if you were being, I sometimes call it, your eternal grandmother is embracing you. It feels like on the other side, this in this default position of just seeing what's here, somehow the universe embraces you. It's It's really remarkable. So... You can embody that and become that for yourself and all beings if if you would like. It just takes remembering and then choosing.
0: Mm. That's beautiful, man so you're it's almost like your base default state mm. is a blissful one.
1: I believe that all of ours is, yeah, not just mine.
0: Yeah. that's that's I was meaning generally. Yeah. That's a that's a comforting thought as well, and uh, I think it sets a default um, positivity that you can uh, exude into the world.
1: You can. Doesn't doesn't you don't need to pay anything to get it. It's freely here for you. When you were born, you were given this gift. And anytime you want to, you can return. Let me ask, have you spent much time in meditation before?
0: No, not really. Yeah.
1: So this could have been a failed experiment. <laughs> we could have done this and it could have led nowhere. But I believe that it's revealed whenever it needs to be. Um, it's always there and it doesn't require in fact, it requires the opposite of what you think. You you might think that it requires training and it requires addition, and actually, it requires subtraction. It requires the courage to let all of that go. And once you pass the precipice, as you mentioned, you mean it's just beautiful. Beauty and warmth is on the other end. So. It sometimes seems... Good, I was going to ask you to open your eyes. It sometimes seems that in meditation, we're in a special state because we're closing our eyes and we're sitting in a certain way. And what I'd like you and the listeners to potentially um, experiment with is the idea that there's nothing different between closing your eyes and sitting on a meditation cushion. That when you open your eyes and you let the world in, the world is coming into that plate, that same place that has this default bliss. So that there need not be a difference between what happens on the meditation cushion and what happens when you're in a meeting and what happens when you're getting your groceries and what happens when you're working out at the gym. And it, it all comes through this, this, this consciousness that by default is rapturous and blissful. Mm. I'm glad this wasn't a failed experiment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea about this. That's how I like it sometimes, though the surprise aspect. Mm -hmm. I also think it it means it's very genuine and not premeditated, you know. No pun intended. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. I I think that's cool to think now. Um, I think more and more, I uh, appreciate the beauty of nature and not even nature, like man-made buildings and whatnot. Yes. Um, just quite often in a day I'll I'll notice, you know, like a really, uh, sunsets are pretty obvious. They're quite beautiful and, you know, different. They're always different. Um, we were talking about the moon previously. I just enjoy looking at the moon. Like, like a moonlit night, I love looking at you know the landscape uh yeah and then like it's christmas time so yeah all the little cute things people do they, you know they put lights on trees or they put tinsel uh in public places and even like my housemate putting a little santa hat on his robot vacuum so when it goes around it, it's wearing a santa hat uh, all these things i just uh yeah i've been enjoying and appreciating and it kinda of feels in line with that, uh mm-hmm. where um yeah, you're just it's very simple and you're just mm-hmm. en- enjoying what's in front of you. Yeah, and hm. And there's no yeah, there's no um agenda or intention of like doing something. Yeah. Mm. yeah always enjoyable moments and maybe I think it's nice when you can share that with people you know Mm -hmm. so um, yeah if I'm with someone I might mention oh how beautiful is that Uh, or maybe I'll take a photo and send it to someone Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but I feel like it's in line with what we just did then Mm -hmm. to like uh, yeah Have you got a a, a name for that place or something? Or the the here?
1: Yeah, so that's today's topic, here. Mm. H-E-R-E. It's interesting because I think that... So there are a lot of books that have been read about meditation, and I've certainly read my fair few, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts on it. And my feeling is that I think all of them would agree that that place is not labelable. Um, as I mentioned I think in order to get there you need to go to that place where when, when you were a child and you were inquisitive you didn't look for linguistic types of answers hmm. so that um, sometimes it's called non-duality hmm. that the subject, subject-object subject distinction is broken and that there's just here and now there's, not, there's no distinction between here and there there's just here so, um for me in my own meditation journey, um because I you know, I've been a meditator for over 10 years now and in the beginning, um I was I was drawn to it by um I guess I was in the actually in the very beginning, I just thought that sounds interesting, don't know anything about it, let's see what that's about. And unfortunately in those days, um it was just, you know, the meditation albums and things you would find the resources would be just a bit woo wooish, Um, and it was big, big deal for me to find that there was, there's an incredible amount of literature on the benefits of meditation. So I think I, my initial draw to it was, you know, what can this do for my mental space? I mean, you know, we take care of our bodies. How do we take care of our minds? So there better be a practice around that.
0: I, I know my initial draw was, um, when Hitmonlee learned meditation, and I thought, well, "Really, that's a uh, clearly a valuable skill." <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting because I certainly,
1: when I was that age, <laughs> looking at Pokemon, I didn't. I was like, "Well, that's a you know, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm not, I <laughs> I'm not a that's, Pokemon." That
0: was probably my first time actually. Oh, that's really interesting. About it, I mean, I'm I'm kind of joking around a little bit, but um, yeah, I guess as a kid, I thought, "Oh well, you know, it makes." I can't remember. It gave him more attack or something. Right. So That's it, very interesting. It helps to, like, you, as a kid, you think, okay, it makes you, it helps you in some way to, you know, perform better. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'll continue. I was just no, finished. so um,
1: <laughs> for me, I, I guess I was drawn into it by reasons, uh, rationality. Uh, and, it, and so a big figure that helped me to take meditation seriously was Sam Harris, because you know he has a background in both neuroscience and philosophy so that's spoke to my background and i thought well this is an incredibly clever science philosophy person who's dedicated so much of his life to becoming a great meditator and now i mean the his his waking up app is other than google maps is my favorite app of all time i think it, it just delivers so much value that's awesome um, and so I started. Yeah. So he had a med. He didn't have his app yet. um, When I started, I think he had one meditation online called I think looking for your head or looking for the self or something like that. So I did that and then I uh, read a book called mindfulness by Jon Kabat-Zinn and followed his meditations for a while. The reason that I'm going into all of this is that my initial kind of foray into meditation was kind of rationally driven. And that took me to a certain place especially with with Sam Harris, he kind of the way that he engages my linguistic, rational mind and a big step forward in terms of my progress in meditation came from a guy called Locke Kelly. And I I want to give all credit to the meditation that I just led us through to Locke Kelly, um, L-O-C-H Kelly. Um, And he, you know, he has books um, that maybe we could share on the show notes or something like that at some point.
0: I feel like, we really should get some affiliate links going with all these <laughs> <laughs> references, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That'd be in- interesting, but so he, and he has a pod, Locke has a podcast of his own as well. But what was very important about Locke is that he enabled me to get into that place that I just mentioned about the de- default mind that has questions but does not look for linguistic answers, um, that just feels for what the answer is. You felt beauty and openness and warmth. Um, and you felt those things. It's, it's not as if you thought those things through. So Sam took me a certain way through of understanding, maybe like the more intellectual side of meditation. And there are interesting intellectual things that you can do there, but to get to this other place of non-duality and rapture and bliss, it lock Kelly and his question, what, what is here now? When there's no problem to solve it, just. Cut through my meditation practice, and an incredibly—I made a step change in the kinds of experiences that I had in meditation. And then, importantly, I found that I could go there any time that I wanted to. I didn't meditate i didn't need to meditate for ten minutes or an hour or something to get to a place. Mm. But I could, in any moment, ask, "What is here now?" When there's no problem to solve, and go and drop straight into that place of rapture and bliss.
0: Now, can I ask? Uh, maybe this is. This is very interesting and also maybe confusing because it's um, yep. like I think it's natural to intellectualize things, right? Yeah, exactly. and, and think, what's the benefit? So, if I may ask, that what do you feel the benefit of dropping into that space is?
1: Yeah, so I think import. I think it's important that you pointed out that it's um, intellectualization is a is a trap. So that's why when you asked about, um, can you kind of articulate what that place is? I went through this long-winded way of saying, I'm trying to let go of articulation.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess for me, like... Oh, we're doing a podcast, maybe We kind of have to articulate it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, so let, let me try. And as I'm, I said, yeah.
1: there have been multiple attempts to like get at this thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so one thing that but comes... I like,
0: I like what you say about like, again, it could be a labeling thing where... Yeah. We love to label things because it helps yeah. us uh, make sense of the world. But it can we can go overboard with that yeah
1: labels are typically imprecise we try to label people
0: yeah yeah um and even this place perhaps yeah yeah
1: yeah. that's why yeah today's episode is simply called here no judgment no label um your so your question was um uh, what's the benefit of going to that place yeah um So first of all, you know, I think in episode one, we talked about how we want to kind of confront truth. We want to know what the truth of the matter is and then live in accordance with that. I feel that this is um, getting these experiences has has enabled me to get closer to what consciousness, what conscious experience is truly like. Um, We we don't typically do in our waking moments what we just did here. Um, So there's a particular quality to conscious experience that can be brought out through meditative states. Um, that is special. Um, so it kind of uncovers more of what consciousness is like. So, you know, uncovering more truth, maybe you would call it. And then, as I mentioned, I, I think that the more that you can get to that place, the more you find that it puts your problems into perspective. Uh, Locke Kelly talks about how, um, in a certain sense, your, like your problems almost personify themselves. They announce themselves as having their own independent reality that we then have to respect and solve. It's almost he he talks about it's like almost you have a homunculus in your head um, that creates like a a miniature representation of yourself um, in your head that um, announces itself as being true. Um, It says you need to solve this problem. Uh, And then um, part of your brain goes, okay, so I'm a problem solver and I need to solve those problems so you know whenever you're engrossed within a problem it can become so blinding you can become so uh um what's the word it's like it's very uh, confining
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah and um and so that and but sometimes in those moments you can go what the fuck am i doing like it's sometimes easy to lose perspective in those moments i think that uh this type of meditation is an easy way to get to the broadest possible perspective. You know, there's one way of getting broad perspectives, which is to intellectualize and to put it within the context of an intellectual, okay, like there is this problem, but then there's a broader sphere of broader problems. Or maybe you think about, I'm only this small little thing within a, you know, within a floating rock within the universe or whatever. Um, So there are ways to intellectualize and, and to minimize your, and maybe to put your problems into perspective. But I feel that, There's another way of doing that, which is not intellectual, which is to simply drop into that place of consciousness and to find that sometimes you don't, you don't necessarily need to always be solving problems.
0: Hmm.
1: And when you're in that place, I find that you're a, a more kind and compassionate human to yourself and others. And when you operate from that place, your problems have a different quality and the solutions that arise to you also have a different quality. So, yeah, the benefits are, I, I would say, are uh, qu- quite profound.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're deeper and uh, perhaps more subtle, mm-hmm. but uh, influential mm-hmm. in many, mm-hmm. many different things. Um, in the sense of uh, putting problems in perspective, um, I noticed one thing that works for me which is uh perhaps counterintuitive is to if i'm like if i feel i have a significant thing i gotta work through and it's uncomfortable and not something i want to be dealing with um if i talking to other people and and listening to them like re- really listening to them as to what they're you know working on and going through yeah uh, i've had that a few times where i realized in, um in contrast like my problem is really not a big deal like i see they might be going through something much more significant so yeah yeah but this is another way even simpler yeah
1: yeah and let's yeah it's good to also say that this is not a panacea yeah. this this cannot be used to solve all problems maybe somebody would make that claim yeah i feel that this is part
0: of a broader array of tools you still have to address the problems
1: Still have to, yeah. Yeah,
0: but I think this helps you uh, do so in a uh, from a, a good place and like with with the right spirit and intentions, right? Um, hmm.
1: Yeah, I like what you said about kind of talking to other people about their problems, and I think one of the other benefits of that is that oftentimes we feel that we're alone with our problems, and as you know, one of the motivations for me in starting the podcast was to make some people that maybe think like us to feel more less alone. Yeah. as if they belong to a community it can be sometimes very stifling to think I'm the only person that's facing this problem and nobody understands me I'm on my own It's very that, that is very isolating and humans are social creatures and they don't want to feel isolated so another benefit to expressing your problems is to feel less alone
0: yeah and more understood as well mm. yeah I think to be truly understood, you have to, yeah, you just got to be yourself and express what's uh, important to you in those moments.
1: It's funny you talk about being understood, because I think that that's something that I struggled with for a while, um, just because I felt that I wasn't understood by people, even close friends. And then I realized what actually is more important to me is not that I feel understood, but that I feel allowed to simply be who I am. I feel that very strongly from you that, um, you know, I'm gonna, you know, be quiet for six months or whatever. You simply allowed that to happen. And I find that a good therapist does that as well, that they're, they're not there to kind of pick you apart, but they're an open space that allows you to express whatever is there. In addition to that you know the this idea that you can be understood implies that you're a thing that is unchanging um you know so uh you can maybe understand somebody's motivations at one point in time and then you come back 10 years later it's a totally different person you know so um what i've come to um appreciate more than the feeling of being understood is simply the feeling of being allowed you you're fine doing that um and i support you and i see you that you not that you would have to understand me but cuz god knows we don't understand ourselves i mean <laughs> it's very difficult to understand another person but to simply allow um space for them to express who they feel that they are in this moment is it is what a what a gift yeah to sim- to simply listen listen deeply yeah. and to give them your presence
0: yeah it's so simple but it's uh so valuable i yeah.
1: think you said recently that one of the most charismatic things you can do is to give somebody your full presence
0: yeah yeah exactly full attention yeah uh nick and i were joking just before this we both put our phones on flight mode <laughs> and uh, as i was doing it i said to him like that's one of the most charismatic things you can do um mm. <laughs> uh, i was thinking well uh being understood, to me, part of that would be, um, you've put the effort in and the thoughtfulness in to, uh, think about that person and, um, why they might do that thing. Uh, and so it's not, um, like apathetic because you could maybe accept someone uh, and you just don't care. So, you know, um, uh, which I would say is not like a great feeling. I wouldn't, you know, that would feel cold to me, you know. I like understand. That. I see what um, you're saying. Whereas other people that I feel uh they they're thoughtful, they have considered how I might feel or why I might be doing something and accepting it too. Yeah, yeah and I guess well I guess they also I think the really special people they like, like you said, they accept anything. Like anything I do, they'll uh accept it. Um which is, uh, feels like a, um, a privilege as well, and not something I'd want to, uh, you know, uh, like I want to live up to that in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, not that I um, act unnaturally or um, to try to please them, but um, I guess it ultimately I think, like, they think I'm a person of character uh, living by my values, so I better continue doing that, even if the values change. Um, Mm. you know um, yeah you know what I mean I do yeah as in, you know if I did not do that um, perhaps I would think that's unacceptable and hence why would I think someone else yeah but we all make mistakes too so that, that's another beautiful thing when uh, when you do make mistakes uh, do the wrong thing and people still accept you as a you know not as a yeah not as like a bad person or anything they just Accepted. Hmm. I, I'm with you.
1: I like what you said about being thoughtful because I find that you're very thoughtful. Like you'll think about, you know, what I might like and then you'll just, you'll offer it. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's the thought that counts. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think you're right that, you know, um, acceptance plus thoughtfulness, thoughtful action is, um, yeah, very incredibly well received a good basis for a strong relationship.
0: Yeah. I also made a note um, before. I was thinking of going, when you go into the, uh, in the here, when there are no problems to solve. Yes. Now, I was thinking, well, what if you're like in, in pain, like physical pain, say, say you're unwell or something like that. Um, so we can talk about that. But interestingly, like, i had the thought right after that well actually i I have done that um yeah so maybe three years ago i had a kidney stone Mm -hmm. and uh that's yeah it it was reasonably painful but i found the most painful thing was when i got the stents i had two stents in and it was ridiculous because you've got sort of something inside your body and your body is uh it's foreign so it's kind of trying to get rid of it and i would just have these cramps deep inside my body yeah and uh, it was the most physical physically discomfort uh, yeah I was in the most physical discomfort I've ever been in um, and it was constant you know like it would pass and then it would come back anyway so that was I, I did look at it, it like this is a fantastic mental challenge right now because this is ridiculous and I also knew you know they're going to come out at a certain point so it's temporary um, but I remember um, I was down at the beach and uh I was with my girlfriend at the time and, um so we walked there which was kind of you know a little bit uncomfortable um and because you know at that point you kind of almost just want to lie there not move a muscle because it seemed mm-hmm. to be the most comfortable thing to do anyway um she went for a swim and I just sat on the sand and um it was amazing actually so you know because I just felt like uh, uh what's the word you know just depleted um, and uh, like I wanted to do physical things but it it was just clearly not a good idea you know Um, and it was painful so I just lay there I watched the waves um, I noticed some dolphins in the waves and just all these things and I was just like uh, it was really interesting because I was like just enjoying all the beauty around me and I was meditating without knowing it I would say in a way because that lasted for maybe a minute or something. And then I just felt so good and self-appreciative. So and so that that's pretty cool in the sense that, um, I mean, the kind of pain I was in, I guess it, it would come and go. But even in that moment, I was kind of, when I was in the present moment, I was still comfortable, you know, and, and blissful in a way. So how do you think... Um, do you think that's uh, possible for everyone? Because uh, I and I also similar to this. I was thinking of um, apologies. I don't remember his name. The um, uh, concentration camp. Uh, okay. Yeah. Man, search for meeting. Victor Frankl. I thought so. Okay. I just don't have the confidence. Yeah. So I feel like um, this would probably be quite related to his thoughts in in many ways because he found. Uh, he was able to maintain would you say like his peace and happiness in the worst <coughs> of the like worst possible circumstance you could be in yeah so what are your thoughts um, do you think even for someone in like immense physical pain they can drop into this state because uh, I, I was thinking that if it, it, you said you can drop into it at any any moment I was imagining well it might be more difficult if you're in a really loud busy uh, Crazy place where you kind of have to uh, be aware of what's going on for your own safety, let's say, um, or if you're in just like extreme pain. Um.
1: Yeah, I don't want to make any strong claims. I, I know that um, some meditation teachers do do say that. Uh, when I went on a I went on a ten day silent meditation retreat, and we would sit in meditation posture for. multiple i mean it must have been at least eight hours a day probably like 10 and it's uncomfortable it's it and it gets inscruciating actually it's like it's funny like you don't think about sitting cross-legged as being painful but if you do it for 10 hours it's incredibly painful and so i couldn't really talk about it because silent meditation retreat but i at one point realized oh this is they know everybody in this room is in pain and they know that this is happening. And so I found, yes, that pain can be an object of meditation. I want to also just extend my compassion to anybody that actually is in physical pain right now, that, or, or even mental pain. Um, I understand that that's incredibly difficult. And so I don't want to make any strong claims about going to any place. This is something that is said in meditation circles, that you can get to a place where you simply observe it. Byron Katie says that...
0: Wow, you can observe the pain.
1: You can merely observe it without judging it. Wow. That's a, that's the place that I got to in this meditation retreat.
0: So that, And by judging, that would be like, I don't like this. Yeah. But instead you're saying you can have pain. But pain
1: pain just, is information.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So then you can go, well, it's not bad. And, and to simply observe it.
0: That's pretty amazing. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because even as a baby, I guess, you know, like pain makes you cry and you want to get out of it naturally. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: But Byron Katie says that what we're afraid of when we're in pain is that it will continue. So you can can bear it in the moment because you're bearing it. Yeah. But you're afraid that it will continue. Yeah. So it's actually the expectation that leads to the suffering. The Buddha says that when you suffer, you're actually getting hit with two arrows. The first arrow is what the world gives you. So the world might give you pain. The second is that you choose to suffer. You, um, there, There's a choice. So to come back to Viktor Frankl, he says that um, an event happens and then you have a response. And in between those two is choice. And in that choice lies your freedom. Yeah. So... Again, let me extend my compassion to anybody that's feeling any immense physical or mental pain. I understand that that's incredibly difficult and I'm not going to make any strong claims about meditation being a panacea that will get rid of that pain. Um, But yes, there are there are these ideas that um, with the right perspective, suffering does not need to be necessary. Pain, Pain is just information. Mm. Suffering is when you create a story about that information and you languish.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so an interesting thing about suffering is it's it effectively it's your choice. Right. And no yeah. matter what it is, you can make the choice not to suffer. I I, I don't wanna sound like you're saying um Yes. Uh uncompassionate. Yeah. Um but I'm just Examining the idea, yeah. and again, like because Viktor Frankl is incredible how yes. he went through that seemingly without suffering. Yes, yeah,
1: yes, and you, and you hear this a lot with um, those kind of um, survivors that you know the people that go on and end up surviving are people that have an incredibly strong story. He also talks about how the people that had hope that they would get out would often talk about what they would do when they would get out. They had plans about when i get out i'm going to do x y and z i'm going to start that business i'm going to hold my grandchild they had actually yesterday when we were talking about um the denial of death by m specker at the end of the book he talks about how myths are or stories are necessary you know we talked about this in the first episode as well about how in order to just structure the information that's coming in and therefore to act we require stories and he says that you need, to require, you, you need to create a myth that is generative, that, that is a myth of hope, that you create a story about what could be in the future, and then you take, you take that on um, as, a, as a true hero. He, he actually, in the end, doesn't say that heroism is a bad thing. He kind of says that a true heroism is when you go after a creative myth that's incredibly inspiring and hopeful, and you create like goodness in the world. And um,
0: I think that oh, that love that that's that's just an exciting
1: yeah exactly
0: prospect I think it's the way to live hundred
1: but it's incredible how the power of those stories right because there are you know there are people that are incredible in uh, so Nazi war camps is an excellent example of there are people that are incredible anguish that have any uh, um, that have a strong enough myth that allows them to kind of survive and even thrive even thrive to have a positive outcome and he went on to create logotherapy his own way of doing um, psychotherapy as a result of this quote-unquote horrible thing that happened to him and a lot of these people say that it was the best thing that ever happened wasn't there this guy i think what was that um, movie 78 hours or something i can't remember what it was but there was a guy that got kind of 120
0: something hours i think yeah Yeah. good
1: yes Yes. so he got trapped and he had to like cut off his arm or whatever but he said he actually went on to say, "This is the best thing that's ever happened to me," which is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think part of that is because humans have an incredible uh, way with, you know, some humans. You know, this is—I think this is a skill. But there is a potential so to learn skill. Maybe yeah. uh, it actually seems that for some of these people, they just have it, you know, which is enviable.
0: I was going to ask. Um, sorry for my ignorance. What was Viktor Frankl's um, like what was his job in that prior to the I oh, i don't, I don't know okay yeah Cause I w- I'm curious if he was involved in psychology or yeah, something completely separate, and then he just had these realizations.
1: Wouldn't uh, wouldn't the side of the side of the case, but the side of the stories of the stories of the side of the state 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 of the of the of the of the state of place of happiness and then you stay at that place of the of You know, so we know with lottery winners that they don't actually necessarily... It doesn't actually necessarily increase their happiness, their level of happiness. Um, um,
0: In fact, it doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) Uh, But we also know on the flip
1: side that, you know, um, paraplegics will also go back to their default level of happiness. So something great can happen, something terrible can happen. And it's just, what is it? It's power of story because in the world... There's there's no judgment in the world of this is good this is bad, it's thinking that makes it so. And so what is that thinking? It's a story. It's a story about what's going on. And is so that Marcus. No, I think actually thinking makes it so is Shakespeare. I believe. Ah, okay. There is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. I think that's Shakespeare.
0: Okay.
1: Potentially could be Marcus. Okay. Sounds like something he would say. Yeah. I love that we referred to him as Marcus. Yeah, our man. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: then if I may take another tangent. Yes. Uh, it was interesting to, to hear how you said that when we go to that place, the default state is not boredom, which, yeah, if you hadn't thought deeply, that's maybe what you would assume.
1: Or experience deeply. Hmm. You don't need to think about it. Just yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, then, well, then, what is boredom? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, let's we'll, we'll start with that. What is boredom?
1: Boredom is a negative label that people put on empty space. You don't, you don't have to label it negatively when there's nothing going on in your mind.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the productive man would put that negative label on it because he's trying to encourage productivity exactly but even then like i'd say going to that place can be productive i mean no doubt otherwise we wouldn't be talking or do you even
1: need to be productive you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i understand what you're saying
0: yeah I think because of society, we need to be productive. You know what I mean? Like we need—that's what I'm
1: saying. You know, yeah, I open by saying I extend my compassion to everybody because the world that we live in forces you yeah, yeah, to be productive merely yeah. to survive. Yeah. Nothing, you know, and I'm not going to label that as being bad either. Hmm. I'm Not saying productivity is bad. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying that, in the same way that sitting tightens your hip flexes, yeah. the constant focus on productivity uh, cre- uh, causes you to become a problem solver. Yeah. Not not saying that's bad again. Not bad to be a problem solver. Yeah. But it's good to have multiple ranges of motion in your joints and it's good to have multiple ranges of motion in your mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The the boredom thing is interesting as well. Uh, In that I... um, Nowadays I really ever have it. (laughs) Because I think maybe that's just... I naturally came upon that where... If I had time with nothing, I would be like, wow, <laughs> this is rare. This is, you know, Yeah. And, and just trying to appreciate that. Yeah.
1: One thing that I did want to bring up, I was going to maybe have this as, an, as a separate podcast, but let's talk about it now is, as I mentioned, you know, boredom is a negative label that we put on empty space. And I would say that procrastination Is a negative label that we put on an activity that is doesn't seem to be productive but if you look at it in another this is the way that i look at procrastination i think that when your mind is telling you that it wants to do something over another thing you should you had better listen to it oftentimes when we procrastinate it's because we're anxious oftentimes we feel overwhelmed with oh my god got so many things going on and that's when we procrastinate Uh, We procrastinate at exactly the worst time. So let's not judge that. Let's merely observe that and see what's going on from a totally psychological, neurobiological perspective of why does the human animal respond to anxiety with fucking around? And it might be that um, your mind is protecting you. As I said, your mind and your body are trying to help you. So that when you find that there is something, there's a path in your way that it seems insurmountable and overwhelming, that your brain protects you by saying like, okay, well, we're going to watch cat videos for a little while. So you could look at it in that way of like, it's it's your mind's way of automatically expressing compassion for you in the same way that, you know, your mother might bake you cookies or something, on a, you know, after a breakup or something like that. Your mind does that for you. So simply taking a step back and saying, why do I feel overwhelmed? You know, t- again, p- pain is a signal and the, the urgency or the urge for procrastination is merely a signal. So what is it signaling? Well, maybe you're overwhelmed. And one way to be less overwhelmed is to look at what's in front of you and to break it down into c- its components. exactly parts. what I was gonna say, yeah. You break it yeah. down, you write it down into, you know, whatever, 10 steps and then you, 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 you attack those 10 steps
0: break it down and i'd say probably into the biggest chunk that you can do
1: that you can handle yeah Yeah. that you will actually do yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. and And if that needs to be really small then make it really small yeah
1: and i would say budget time for procrastination you are you're not a productivity you're not a machine you actually are a human um and so it's not it's not a bad thing for every to take a break everybody needs a break everybody needs to sleep pomodoros baby Pomodoro's is a good way of doing it so you yeah. can yeah you can structure it in a way but my point here is that your strategy needs to come from a place of not judging yourself for this negative label of procrastination it's it's merely um, uh, it it's merely part and parcel of the neurobiology of anxiety yeah your amygdala is telling you something
0: so instead uh, let's figure out a, a method that uh, works for you in that harms is that Intentionally, and then also helps reduce. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to mention, because it's randomly thrown into the Pomodoro, just as a side note, that's just um, a, a method of staying focused, I would say. And uh, typically it's a 25 minutes of focused work on whatever it is you're doing, and then take a five-minute break. Um, and in that five-minute break, it's doing something completely different just to let your mind reset. Um, and it can help instead of trying to slog through something for like an hour or two straight just having those really brief breaks um, it's yeah, it's just shown to to help maintain that intense focus during the intentional focus time yeah, and it it kind of makes sense as well in terms of that um, procrastination, if you think well in 25 minutes I get to rest for a little bit I can just go for 25 minutes um as opposed to, if you're just sitting there thinking, I got it. This is gonna take me a long time. You know, how am I gonna start? So. Hmm.
1: And as Lucky said, this is this is based on neuroscience. I mean, you can look into the experiments around your attention decrement. So, um, for me, I, yeah, I did Pomodoro's for a long time, and then I found that well, actually, I can probably spend more than 25 minutes now. I'm not saying that you should do that right away. I think 25 minutes is a good place to start. But what you'll find in the end is that you have your natural rhythm. Mm. And the idea is that when you find that you're becoming distracted, to uh, make space for that. I mean, it's not a weakness that you're beginning to lose focus. Um, And you can train yourself in the way that you would train yourself for anything. Um, You know, to hold a plank or whatever, you might begin with 30 seconds and then In five-second increments, you get stronger and stronger. So in the same way, you can begin with with wherever you'd like to. 25 minutes is a great place to start. See if you can focus and then take five minutes off. Personally, what I do in those five minutes is I go and take a walk. um, And I I don't think about anything. I find myself drifting back to the problem during that walk. And I just allow myself. If that's what I want to do, that's fine. But sometimes I just try and be in the surrounds. You know, Look at the trees. Look at the road, look at whatever is around you. And as Loki said, you kind of, um, you, um, you switch activities to something that's totally unrelated. Um, and what we found in the literature is that if you allow your attention decrement to continue to um, decrease, so let's say that you push past the 25 minutes, even though you feel your attention is waning, you force yourself what happens is that you basically just go into a place of less and less focus and the quality of the work that you do in that place of less and less focus. It's not going to be very high at all. So it's better to um, have um, a, a consistent practice around taking. Uh, I think that one of the papers around this is called brief and rare breaks, something like that um, improves attention decrement. Um, and so yeah, take five minutes, every 25 minutes, see how that works for you. And what I personally found is that it's just it just makes me more consistent. Um, and I think that leeway leads to consistently consistency, which leads to progress. And so um, if you can create systems for yourself such that it makes you more likely to be more consistent on more days, I think in the long run, you'll have uh, better outcomes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like um self acceptance and yep. and not judging the uh if your attention's waning the the funny th- thought I'm having at the moment is um I definitely think that's important to accept things right and uh, and be and in that sense be kind to yourself in that you're accepting this is how it is, and that's fine I'm not judging that, but at the same time, I think there's probably a need to also strive for. Yeah. You know, like not, well, I need to rest every five minutes. <laughs> so that You know, if that's the case, that's the case, but let's strive to, you know, lengthen that out. Um, you know what I mean? So, because uh, maybe the other, the ambition, ambition paired with the acceptance is important, I would say. Otherwise, one might accept a lot of, Subpar things and and not grow. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. So I think for my personal way of being, I would try and do that. Um. Yeah. And I did the Pomodoro thing as well. I found it. It really helped me. Um. Just jump in and get get working and not procrastinate. Um. But I have noticed there are periods when I just work relentlessly without a rest for hours. And I, I almost, <laughs> for me, often the times it's it's the meal that gives me a break where I, I need to eat some food, so I go have some food. Um, but even recently, actually, I've, I've been so flat out working on um, the film is one example when there's just, and that was a, my, my take on all this, I totally understand when you were saying how procrastination is when you feel overwhelmed. There's so many things to do, you don't know how to, do it, all, or or even just something huge to do, and you don't know how to approach that. Um, for me, with the film, especially because it was my first time doing all these things um, and having like a small team and low budget, so I was doing many different roles at the same time. Uh, it was, yeah, certainly like looking at all at, at once was you're yeah, like, what what do I even start with? But for me, it was all about okay, what are the what's the highest priority? Let's break it down. Um, and then having a list of all the things to do and then just working through that list. Um, and <laughs> it got to a point when, um, you know, like I'm very hungry. I haven't eaten in a long time, so I'll get my meal, but I've, there's just still so much to do that I'd be eating and still working through the list and not really resting. Um, and it was okay, you know, like, mm. um, I guess I, I always want to listen to myself if I need to rest, but mm. I didn't need to. So, um. And then I, I see that as a growth thing as well. Like, cool, okay. Um, mm. I like this. Let's try and make this more normal when it needs to be, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm. And I think, you know, one of the people that comes to mind for me is Usain Bolt. Um, just because um, I feel that he em- really embodies a really nice blend between intensity and I don't know, self-acceptance, where this motherfucker's eating chicken nuggets and doing whatever he wants. And he's so chilled out. Like, you know, when he wins, he'll often, like, give a thumbs up to the... He is definitely, of everybody sprinting, having the most fun and taking himself the least seriously. Um, so it works for him, you know, um, that there is this place of self-acceptance and goofiness, silliness and seriousness. That blends, And I don't think that for him, you know, um, procrastination would be a negative thing. (laughs) Got to push hard in some moments and then chill at at other moments. And, um, you know, for a sprinter, that kind of thing is important. You keep running yourself down. Eventually, you're you're not going to be able to perform at your peak. Um, So just even just from a performance standpoint, you know, it's best for the overall outcomes. That you're a balanced person that is well rested. Um, that has fun and makes space for all of those things, mm. which is why we begin our podcast with something ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> So, man, I think um, it's interesting because um, I've come more and more to this idea that there doesn't, there isn't a need for a formal meditation practice. As I mentioned, the the I for me, the most special place you can get to is already natively there, and I feel that um, you know I see um, when you're totally engaged in you know your gymnastics practice. To me, that's 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 a that's a mindfulness practice. Yeah. you're just f- totally focused in there and hopefully you can get to a place where there's no you and just the activity um you're yeah, so focused yeah. that you let go of your self-consciousness
0: in the moment of any i feel like that's one thing i love about gymnastics when if you're doing a skill you can't really think about anything except for the yes. skill um yeah you have to be present if you're not present you could really hurt yourself you know i mean yeah so uh it's amazing in that way um yeah because you're using your whole body you're often going upside down um and it's so delicate you know the balance is so fine uh or like the strength you need is or the power of the speed yeah there's, there's just so many things that you're subconsciously even um you know uh, doing or thinking about that you cannot be uh, also thinking about um other problems and some sessions uh i when you know I have a lot going on i find that harder to uh to stop you know um to stop worrying about everything else and just focus on the training but yeah i do and i love that i love that um the synergy of it where i'm getting exercise i'm also getting like often I'll, i can come into a session a bit stressed and um you know uh <laughs> and in that sense I'm like I, I, I just want to get back to, to working on what I'm working on so I better get the session done but then after the session I feel great you know Um, and, and that's cool because it's I've gotten the physical exercise but I've also it sort of helped reset my mind and put it in a good space amongst all the other and it, just loving the sport and doing really cool stuff so yeah mm. so you that, that place
1: of um, focus and flow is uh, part and parcel of of you know training and performing at a high level.
0: Mm, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I I have said that many times. Like, training is my meditation. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, might be a good way for other people to look at it. That maybe because it is hard to be like I am going to go sit down and do nothing. Like <laughs> to make be- that to make that time is difficult. I, I it would can say. be. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not for everyone, but definitely for me, I would find that, yeah. It was nice to package it in with training in a way, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and as I mentioned, I think that there is an important uh, aspect to bringing it into your daily life. Um, There is a trap with like, you know, if you're meditating, you know, 10 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day or an hour a day or whatever, I sometimes feel that there's a trap of like thinking that this is the special place that needs to be like, you, mentally speaking, you get to a special place in your meditation that needs to be kind of like, um, what's the word? Like, you know, returned back to or continued into your daily... But, you know, sometimes that there, there is this huge juxtaposition between your meditation practice and your and your normal life. And, you know, I think that the kind of meta practice here is to blend those things such that you bring that presence into your everyday life when i got back from this 10 day silent meditation retreat it was incredibly difficult to reintegrate because you know it was out in the blue mountains and it was so peaceful and and quiet and then i got back to sydney and if i'm honest i was disgusted just the noise of it all and the smoke and the you you know the clear air in the mountains is different to the air in the city and (laughs) something that you might find funny is um There's also um, a sense that you, like, you're encouraged to kind of think that you're there alone. So one of the things that you might do is to not look other people in the face. Um, So they also break these camps up into, like, there's male quarters and female quarters. So by the end of these 10 days of intense focus, I hadn't seen my own face. I hadn't seen a face. And I hadn't seen a woman. And on that fucking 10th day, man... All these girls were like wearing yoga pants. And <laughs> they, I I saw a woman and I was like, what the fuck is that? It was just this creature, this majestic creature. And I was totally enraptured. It was hilarious. And, and I remember bumping into a friend. I bumped into a guy that was a friend of a friend. And he had the same experience of just like girls. And so it was funny because like, we did this like incredibly spiritual thing for 10 days. And then we'll be like, Oh, yoga pads. You know, yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess that's, that's like a natural, yeah, just a natural, um, deep part of humans, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was funny. I read, and then, you know, I, we didn't eat meat as well uh, during the thing. So the first thing I did was like, got a burger, you know? Um, <laughs> so it was hilarious. Cause and i remember like these people cuz you kind of debrief and start everybody can now talk it was hilarious as well cuz like the women's quarters as soon as you could talk was so loud yeah and the guys quarters cuz everybody's kind of shy it's like, it just started slowly and then eventually kind of ramped up uh-huh. it's hilarious <laughs> um but a lot of the people the guys that i was talking to were like oh i'm going to meditate an hour a day now and i was like oh you know i'm doubtful about that yeah <laughs> it's really difficult to reintegrate in that way and so I was actually a little bit annoyed about the experience cuz like I didn't necess- like I had med- been meditating for 5 or 6 years at that point. Um and you know there were some insights that I got out of that um I got out definitely got out of that but um and you know a few people I I've heard that people can have psychotic breaks on these things. Um for me it's relatively easy to sit And be silent for 10 days. But I think that that is hard for a lot of people. Especially if they've never meditated. I wouldn't really recommend it. There are much easier and slower ways to get into meditation. Of like, you know, beginning with a minute a day. Or 5 minutes or 10 minutes. You don't need to start with 10 days. Um, And every day you are, it's your job to meditate. So as I mentioned, I think it was probably like 10 hours a day we were meditating. Something like that. Um, so it's yeah. funny. Cause like when I got, once I got back to society, I was like, well, that was a nice vacation, but it didn't really improve my meditation practice. Yeah. Um, and I felt that it was a little artificial to create this distance. I mean, cause that life is so different from my normal waking life. Yeah. Um, so I think more and more, I, um, I'm very grateful that I did a, an intense uptake of, you know, many, like a decade of just serious practice. Um, but I think, you know, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, did um, TM. I th- also think for like ten years, and then he's like, "Look, I got the point, and I don't need to do it anymore." I feel similarly to that—that um, that there isn't a need for formal practice. Um, that place that we got to in the start of the podcast is accessible to anybody without training, and I think that's—I think that that's the ultimate goal. Um, so, um, yeah, it's been—it's been interesting to every now and then when I feel that I want to do it, I'll do it you know like sometimes I'll formal listen formal meditation yeah formal yeah. like 10 minutes or whatever and I'll listen to Sam or Lock Kelly or somebody like that um but I don't feel the need for um especially cause you know when I cl- the, this morning I was washing my dishes and it was meditative practice yeah I wasn't listening to anything I was yeah. there with the dishes yeah and anything can become of that nature with um the requisite focus
0: yeah man it's it's funny um when I think of, I haven't done a 10 day meditation retreat my yeah my meditation experience is very limited you know just to Good. here and there yeah. I found like yoga classes are kind of very meditative definitely and and not that I've done that many of them either but to think of doing a 10 days that's very daunting to me you know and it, it's the funny thing is because I think it's like well I just I do want to be productive and I feel like Oh I feel like man that would be um yeah I think that's what it is a bit of that and then just it's a long time 10 days is a long time it is a long time uh yeah and I've just got to sit there all day like okay that uh, that, that's, that seems very difficult for me um, okay okay which almost makes me think well actually, that's good because I like doing difficult things but maybe the
1: the sitting man well, is going to be brutal yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> one and another thing I was thinking was oh did you have anything you want to say on that
1: Okay. Uh yeah, I guess it um you know, the meditation like there it's going to attract a certain kind of person. Like not everybody's going to be doing like attracted to 10 days of meditation. It's interesting to hear your perspective cuz that's why I began our meditation in the way that I did is because I think that an impediment to a lot of this stuff is the need to be productive. Um and again, it's like not labeling that as bad, but it's like also you know, the wider perspective of presence. They're just, you know, let's just try and open up space for that as well. Um, Yeah, because, you know, uh, for a while I thought about becoming a Buddhist monk, actually. Um, And first of all, I've just heard um, stories of, you know, you hear about the successful stories of people who've been able to reintegrate into society like sam harris and andy paddockum who um he has the headspace app There's there are there, there are some amazing people that have done this journey of becoming a monk and then have been able to reintegrate into society
0: sorry but, for my ignorance but to monks is it only a temporary thing it's not a, a whole life
1: it depends so um in some yeah in in some monasteries you it's a lifelong commitment and in others you make a commitment for let's say three years or something like okay. that yeah um so these people, but so what I was going to say is that this is a survivorship bias because you hear about the successful stories, but there are many, many more unsuccessful stories of people that find it incredibly, you know, I had that experience of ten days and then coming back into society and feeling and having it be very alien. Was, I was only away for ten days, and then feeling disgusted with modern life. Um, so it was difficult for me to reintegrate, um, and so uh, yeah, I thought well. Um, the Buddha talks about how everybody has the potential for Buddhahood within them And I felt, no, I don't think I want to totally give my life over to that thing um, They also talk about the lay person. I mean, um, that's one of the great things in uh, Buddhism Is that like, there's a path for if you want to become an enlightened being And be a monk and all that kind of thing But then there's a path for just the everyday person And it doesn't mean that if you're uh, a farmer That you also can't be enlightened so then I was like, well, I think I would rather just have a balance between being a meditative person and also, you know, positively contributing to the world in some meaningful way. Um, so, yeah, having that, um, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to call it a balance. You know, I have an allergy to that word for some reason because I, I don't want it to seem like a compromise. I think that one actually benefits the other.
0: Hmm.
1: They benefit each other.
0: I was thinking, um, it's interesting that you were disgusted when he came back. Yeah. Because I like to try and find, well, I think I naturally do find the beauty in everything. Um, Mm. Could you not find the exhaust smell, say, like beautiful in some way?
1: Maybe, it's just not what happened. Yeah. Um, Mm. I was surprised too, because I thought that I would come back as an enlightened thing and I it just I think it was the I have talked I have heard people talk about how it's important to reintegrate slowly which makes sense it, it wasn't ext- as you said it's an extreme thing to not talk for 10 days and to sit and meditate for 10 days um, so I probably could have reintegrated a little slower but I was I was um, surprised too that my initial thing was just disgust hmm. yeah but it didn't last for very long
0: do you think that would be different as well if you did it again? Is I'm not it, doing it, that again. Yeah. Is that... um? I wonder if that was... <laughs> I feel like that might just be um, dependent on where you're at at the time. Uh, you know, like yeah. maybe, maybe in life and things like that. You might have a different... Because um, mm-hmm. what is the disgust is at... Is it what all the distractions and like... Yeah, the it was like
1: so noisy and... Like I remember just feeling grimy. Like the buildings were like buildings are less beautiful than trees something like that like this is um, gross um, interesting when you look out at the, in the Blue Mountains you know we would have lunch and I would literally just there was no buildings it was just beauty like the beauty of nature so I guess the contrast of that to coming back into the city I don't know it's just gross
0: yeah okay I see the beauty in buildings I see it in everything, man.
1: I think it was just the rapid contrast. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so you might have a totally different experience. And it's, you know, it's really, what's really interesting is where your mind goes when there's, uh, it can be challenging when you have, um, when you're totally bored. Um, You have this.
0: That's a negative label. dude. Yeah,
1: and that's what I'm saying though. Like you can get to that,
0: but that, i do feel like i would be bored that's you that you is... get to
1: a place of like anger, pain, suffering, what anxiety, like worry about what's going on yeah. and the outside what like if i'm not there to take care of problems, what would they become? Yeah. Like your mind goes to an incredibly strong place. It like it is there's so much resistance from just sitting. That's yeah. what i found. Yeah. And i just went I eventually it was interesting because my initial response to the resistance was fuck you I'm gonna resist I'm gonna resist even harder that if there's fear here I'm gonna I'm gonna resist I'm gonna fight fire with fire and actually what ended up happening on like maybe day five or six is I surrendered to it I went okay so you're...
0: it wasn't going away was it getting stronger or just
1: yeah no It like it gets stronger as you meditate I think yeah it would kind of go away when you you know as I said you're not meditating all day so you have lunch breakfast and yeah. you'll have a shower or something Yeah. so it kind of goes away when you're you know, when you're engaged in activities and then when you're back sitting it comes back and it gets louder as you yeah.
0: meditate so at a certain point you you realized this is futile I'm like, I must accept this I suppose so.
1: Like I, well, I was just—I don't know about futile. I was just trying different strategies, and then I it kind of like dawned on me of like, what happens if you? Because my brain told me if you don't, if you don't, like I don't know why, but I had this crazy thought of like, if you don't move now, because what happens when you sit is that you go numb, like you lose feeling in your body. Um. So one of the stories was like, if you don't move now, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. and another one was if you don't speak or if you don't have stimulus then you're going to go crazy
0: uh, did you actually believe the, when they, as these thoughts came in?
1: I don't, I don't know if I did like that, that voice is so when you're not allowed to speak and you don't have any inputs and you just have these negative voices in your mind they get incredibly loud so I'm not I think that there was always a place in me that disbelieved it it's difficult in the moment when that voice is really loud so then I went it was really interesting because the turning point went um was okay then let me just be crazy um and let me just be numb for the rest of my life because what I realized is like I'm not the first person who has had these thoughts and I'm also not the only person in this room um I'm sure that you know if if it made you crazy multiple people would have gone crazy and if it made you paralyzed multiple people would have been paralyzed so then i was like okay well i'm just going to bet that this voice is incorrect and that um trust is what made the the voice was then like what the fuck <laughs> um and it like oftentimes i hear people say that the voice tells you exactly what you don't want to hear so like for me my mind you know I'm an academic and you know, whatever. So my mind is like, is uh, incredibly important to me. So then it was like, oh, if you lose your mind, you lose everything. And then I was like, okay, cool, let's lose everything. I just surrendered to it. And then I don't know what happened, but it kind of like disentangled and it kind of on the other side of that was like this joy. Um, So it was really interesting man, that like when you sit there with no inputs, you're confronted with some of your biggest demons. Um, and I, I went through them and it was, it was very, very, so that was, um, that was very cool. I don't want to do it again, but it was cool. Maybe I will, maybe at some point in the future I will. But, um, that was, that was wonderful to, to confront the, the kind of demons in your mind and then to go, okay, what do you got for me? Um, and then to find that they have nothing. This is very wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. This is actually, you know, so when the Buddha became enlightened, this is what was supposed to have happened to him. So the um, Mara, um, I think the God of Desire, came to him um, because the Buddha decided, I'm going to sit under this tree for six days until I'm enlightened. Well, actually forever until I'm enlightened. It took six days. And um, on that last day, yeah, Mara comes to him and, and tries to tempt him into moving. And um, and scares him with all these things, demons coming, blah, blah, blah. And then he simply touches the ground and he says, this is real. You're not real. And that's when all the arrows that Mara is firing at him, they turn into flowers and um that is that's when he that's his point of enlightenment saying that what's here now you know knocking on the table or whatever that's real and then the uh stories that get put on top of that and labeled those are not real and those don't need to be believed and uh yeah from there he had this incredible enlightenment and um you know what's funny is that like after he had this he didn't want to share it like he it's not that he was selfish but um he just didn't feel the need to talk about it because i think that part of him felt that people was going to call him crazy (laughs) so he didn't he didn't automatically want to be a teacher eventually he was convinced to be a teacher so it's funny that he kind of kept this to himself But, um, yeah, it was interesting for me to kind of read that enlightenment experience in the Buddha, because then I was like, well, that kind of maps onto the experience that I had. Not that it's not saying that I was enlightened, but I, on that sixth, I was actually on the sixth day, the same day. That's crazy. (laughs) But, um, yeah, my mind, um, my mind, um, yeah, it, it tried to get me to move and it tried to get me to give in, um. And then, yeah, the answer was to uh, surrender to it and just go, yeah, okay. What do you got for me? Let's just see. And then to find that it was just stories and they weren't real. was um, a pretty fascinating experience for me. Yeah, and I feel that maybe you could get there with like, you know, people who are ultra endurance athletes have similar self-talk where they go to a place of immense pain and then they go, let's just see what happens if I keep pushing. And I bet that you've been in that place in your training as well, because you train damn hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a really prominent example of that for me was um, when I was in Thailand. um, I was traveling in Asia and I had a shoulder injury in Bali and yeah, I hadn't had a diagnose properly because I went to the hospital and they told me it wasn't broken. And I was like, yeah, I know. That. <laughs> you know anyway. Um, so uh, it turns out, I think I like... Um, uh, oh, it's like something with the bicep tendon, I think, um, came yeah. out of the that groove, you know? In the, uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but at the time, I didn't know. I just knew something was wrong. Um, anyway, and... So I was in Thailand and my friend and I had been planning to kayak between the Phi Phi Islands um, which is pretty significant like uh, open ocean (laughs) and and we just he had done it before so I knew it was possible and uh, and I loved the immensity of it and the ridiculousness of it so anyway um, to summarise it we did it and um, I just I did a little bit of paddling beforehand to make sure that my shoulder was okay and the pulling motion was fine for my shoulder it was more the pushing that was the problem so I I could basically I could kayak without pain and I thought okay I'm good I'll do this um but because of that injury I was not my usual self of like going a hundred percent you know um and we get to the the day before there'd been a monsoon um and uh we were actually in a long boat going between the islands when it hit and it was insane like the the rain would sting and you couldn't see anything because it was just like, it was just such heavy rain that you couldn't, it's like fog almost. And, and somehow the driver knew where to go, uh, or the captain mm. or sailor, whatever you want to call him, he knew where to get back to the, the other island. So we both were saying, okay, well, like when we're kaying tomorrow, we're going to check. And if it looks like rain's coming, we'll go to turn back because if we're out in the middle of the ocean when this happens, like that's very dangerous. Because we'll have no idea where we are, we could we could die easily, so um, we get we we kayak from the beach out to the headland, which is probably like one or two k's maybe, um, and as I'm going, my my body says to me like, mate, you got to keep up with me, like you're going too slow, and we like we need to go fast if we're going to do cross that in a safe amount of time, you know, because we probably wanted to cross in about an hour, um, given that's about how much time we would we we assumed like we can see it coming the, the monsoon and we would probably have about an hour maybe less um so we want to make sure we cross quick right um and uh and i love that he you know he was just being honest like you got to be fast you got to keep got to keep up with me and uh i was like yeah man don't worry i'll do that and so um, as we left the headland and just into the ocean he was just powering ahead and i had to just, i had to force myself above my um you have that natural cadence, you know, and that like that you would go at if you're just moving. Even like riding a bike, there's a certain speed you would comfortably cruise at. Um, but he was going faster than that. And so I had to push above my... I guess that... Um, interesting, because it was a naturally assumed... Uh, this mm. is my level, you know? And I'm and I was, so I was intentionally pushing myself above that for an hour or... I'm not quite sure how long it took, but... An hour or more, um, and uh, and I I, I enjoyed the challenge. I relished it because I was like, "Here we go. Let's see, can we do this?" You know. Um, and then we get to the other side, and I am fine. Like, uh, yeah. And then I just realised, oh, that's that's cool. Like, that was just a, a, the belief that like this is my regular speed is just a it's a story in itself. Like, and no, you can go harder than that. Um, yes, yeah, so that was in that moment I realized yeah like where I thought my uh, level was is you can push above that mm-hmm. and yeah it was pretty um, inspiring for me to think like oh I'm sure there's plenty of other or probably everything actually that I'm doing if I think like that's where I'm at I could go harder than that could go further than that yeah
1: mm. breaking through stories man I feel like has been a um a theme across a lot of the episodes. Yeah. And yeah, it turns out you can do that through action or inaction. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, just <laughs> just sitting around. Yeah. Um but yeah, to to see, you know, to see what's really here. Um it's so funny how insidious stories are. Yeah. You know, sometimes exactly. they can like as you said, they can be almost feel like hard limits. And you know, lactic acid is is quite a thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was so interesting I, I, I love that though because you could even try this on your bike as yes, anyone yes you're riding your bike doing your, say if you do a, a regular trip you know I always ride to the gym so you know do that same ride but this time go just a bit faster the whole time and see what happens and I'm pretty confident you'll get there and you'll be totally as if you know you won't be any more fatigued than you would have been had you gone at your regular pace Mm -hmm. which almost to me then if you have the discipline to think all right, well I'm always going to go a bit faster Mm -hmm. like that speed for a few weeks then I'll up it again and Mm -hmm. you know uh, I think I think you'll like continue to get stronger without even really putting in much more effort you know Mm -hmm. it's almost just expecting a little bit more
1: Mm. yeah I've been really inspired like one of the things that's been coming up for me recently is just thinking like can I how much more hard can I work And um, what are the self-imposed limitations that I have that are keeping me back? So I wonder what you think about, you know, when does that become um, too extreme? Yeah, this idea of working harder and harder.
0: Yeah. And you're not just talking physically, but mentally, uh, like any problem, like work. I,
1: I feel that those are actually pretty linked. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah yeah okay so i um, I hear I've heard some people say things like um, they worked so hard, let's say like um, on their job so not not a, not a physical necessarily thing but just uh, mental and you know sitting in the chair kind of thing and I've heard like they worked so hard and they they got physically sick from working so hard mm. um, and I guess that's where the um, pernicious story can come in because you might think Oh well, I better not work too hard, or I'll get sick. I haven't had that happen to me before, so. But I'm I'm, I'm at least aware of that, and I'm like, no, unless it happens to me, okay, I will not. Um, I don't think I have that limit, you know, because and I've done that. I've, um, <laughs> I've, and the film is another great example because you know, like, I cared about it so much, um, and you have shoot days that you have to be prepared for because mm. if everything is not aligned on that day. Mm then you don't get another chance you just have to do you have make do with what you have Mm. and i was not willing to accept you know subpar pretty much anywhere you know so if something wasn't ready i'm going to make it ready um and it would always end up meaning that i slept very few hours before a shoot date and we they'd be strung together so it'd be like three days in a row of me getting two three hours sleep um night and 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 on the day i want to be performing at my top you know and um it's a long day it goes from like early morning to late evening um and i'm i was aware like this is insane you know this this is the same time that i was having those feelings of like immense number of things to do and having to break it down to a list and like i would never get to the end of my list you know even though i would literally work as soon as i wake up on the film working while i'm eating and then I'm I'm going to bed late because I still haven't got all the stuff done, um, but I was again I was fine like um, yeah I got a good sleep after the shoot days um, I didn't get sick um, yeah and yeah, so I haven't found my limit uh, mentally um, because mm. I've had a few of these examples now where I've I've done things and again I don't I, I really don't encourage people to lose sleep like sleep is very important but I think for me if I'm not getting enough sleep that's a sign that like This thing is intense and like there's a time limit and i'm just like making it happen before that time and uh you know i guess you could plan better and again get to sleep but maybe i'm too optimistic trying to keep doing the work i'm doing as well as the film as well as uh, training and whatever it is sometimes I, i cut back on the training sadly to say um in those really intense moments it's all priorities right um yeah but um so in terms of the the mental one uh, yeah but I, I mean i think i do before i go to sleep i typically just put on youtube and just chill watching something you know just to let my, that's almost me just saying good work mate now you can just mm-hmm. sort of relax for a minute before you sleep even though sleeping is relaxing but i don't know um i seem to always make the time for that at least mm-hmm. um, and that's purely because I just feel like it you know mm. what I mean and it feels like a little reward mm. um, but it's funny because then I'm like but you, yeah, this is cutting into your sleep time <laughs> but even that, it still felt like mm. and, and I, I normally eat as well I, I think that like those things just make me feel like yeah sweet you know um, so I don't know if that's a great answer but for the mental thing I yeah I've never like really burnt myself out in the, hmm. in the way of I can't do it tomorrow or I'm physically sick um, and with the physical side um...
1: that's wonderful man because it sounds like you have built in self care practices that you mean your face lights up when you talk about them so you're not, you're not guilty about them at all which is fantastic I do something very similar by the way um, but it sounds like mentally speaking you haven't found your limit which is quite exciting.
0: Maybe I should push harder Maybe. Hey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think because it's just a natural thing for me like what the task or what I'm trying to achieve is, give it all to that. Um, so, you know, if if that doesn't demand reducing sleep and cutting out other things, then of course I'll still do those other things. So mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to artificially try to find the limit. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, um, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's natural because I didn't really think about the um, until just now that the watching YouTube or um, eating as uh, a, a way to maintain. It's I don't know. It just it just feels like the right thing to do. You know, like that's awesome. Yeah,
1: um, natural balance. Yeah,
0: and it's really simple. It's not like I'm having like these immense meals. It's it's probably terrible because you know, as well like. At that point, it's like 3 or 4 a.m. The shops are all closed, so I'm just getting random things out of my cupboard, um, mixing some kind of meal together. Um, but it's still satisfying. You mm. know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so the physical side, um, yeah, it's pretty similar. So I, I mentioned that kayaking thing. Uh, the, I think the other thing that pops into mind is injuries. So um, yeah, And I'm trying to think of injuries I've had, but most of them I would say uh, they're like freak things, you know, um, you know, cause I've torn my, um, Terror's major, but that was just doing a, a swing out of a handstand of the rings. And that's, I wouldn't say that's a really intense like strength thing. You know, I wasn't like doing weights and hurt myself. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like I, I had pretty bad tendinopathy in my, um, it's it called coracobrachialis on both arms, which is like, um, kind of under your bicep, and it's when you like adduct your arms, okay. You pull them towards your body. Um, I got that from doing isarens for stronger yeah, too.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say. Yeah,
0: because um, I, I think I was feeling it a little bit, and then I just smashed out almost three Azarians in that video. Okay. Um, so that that was just clearly me um pushing my body to its absolute yeah like limit, and even which, then which was the goal yeah yeah, and even then that's okay because it was just tenopathy. tendinopathy sucks and it takes a while to get over but you get over it um yeah so um but I think yeah I mean I think maybe this is relevant to the mental thing too is just listening to yourself and your yeah, body because, you seem to be good at that yeah like I when I'm training I certain sessions I'll feel something's a little off on something I you know oh that's a bit Tired today, or um, that something feels weird when I am doing that movement, and then I think it's the awareness to say, "All right, well," and the, and the thinking big picture, well, let, let's just ease on that one today. That's a shame, but I'll come back to it in a few days, and I'll I'll hit it hard then, um, instead of trying to push for that and then maybe injuring myself. Now, that's definitely not a yeah, yeah. But you've really got to be attuned with yourself, I think, because you can maybe Mm -hmm. feel something, and then you don't want to make that an excuse as to stop because as a gymnast, I think every time... Unfortunately, it seems most gymnasts have a bunch of um, pain issues that they just work through, and at at some point, you just accept, like, yep, that's just like that, and it's all good. It can handle it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, because like some of my older injuries, I can feel tightness and things, but I know I can push through that a bit you know so it's not you don't want to at the first point of something stop yourself because then you very often not do anything you know yeah so I think I think it's listening to yourself and then perhaps the experience as well of of, you know knowing what is and that just comes from experimenting I guess Mm. you know yeah yeah but I mean, and on top of that good coaches and researching mm. is important because obviously um you can learn a lot from that and then have your small experiments as opposed to uh doing things that are reckless, I'd say in terms of how far can you push that or you know mm. does that answer the question or
1: yeah, I mean, as you know, one of the things that I've been like that I've been doing recently is I've been putting Stronger 2 in the background during my workouts. And it's been interesting that on the one hand, definitely my workouts have like, as I've told you, like they're getting to, I, I'm, I'm getting stronger and I'm pushing harder than I thought I could push. Yes. But actually I, we didn't mention this yesterday, which is that yesterday I did like an upper body push workout with Stronger 2 in the background. And I felt that during a chest press on the left-hand side, I felt something weird going on in my elbow. It wasn't painful, it was just weird. Yeah. and then I was like don't be a pussy and then I heard you say something like if it, and if it feels weird don't push it, it doesn't. It's, uh, it's not worth it getting the risk of injury so then um, it's, I, it's wonderful that you ha- seem to have this natural balance and it, and it feels that it's interesting that um, it doesn't feel like you've done it consciously you just yeah. go I'm in tune with my body when it feels weird I don't push sometimes you do and then sometimes there's a freak accident that happens but that happens to everybody actually reminds me about how like in inside um, Japanese gymnastics, you spoke to this one guy who had never gotten an injury and you asked him, well, how is it that you've been so uh, fortunate in that way? And he basically said, when I come to do a skill or I execute a movement, I go fully into it and I fully concentrate. And he thinks that, and he thought that by being fully um, present, To what was happening, and concentrating, and not becoming so. The injuries happen when you um, when you're not lazy, but you lose focus. Yeah, definitely. You lose concentration. Yeah. That you know, it actually happened to me when um, so I only had one injury when I was uh, training taekwondo, and it was my finger got dislocated, which was really annoying because it happened just before a piano exam. (laughs) but what happened was I was sparring with a girl and I was just like well you know I'm clearly gonna win so I fucked around and she kicked me and I blocked it and she kicked and then so she kicked me and I like basically dislocated my finger and it was funny because like I didn't know what happened at first and then you know the shooting pain but that in hindsight I was like you shouldn't have been fucking around (laughs) Mm. Um, so yeah it was very it was very interesting to hear that like Um, this guy that's never had an injury he doesn't he seems to never lose focus in his training that every 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 movement uh, requires this precise focus
0: yeah Um, being in the here beautiful yeah Mm, I agree Um, and it's interesting because a lot of if you talk to people that get injured so often it's the silliest little thing that caused it not actually like they'll be doing all these crazy skills and then they'll just walk and slip off the floor at the end or something like that more than you would think that is what causes injuries Mm. which is crazy Um, but then to defend it as well like um, when I say defend I mean uh, even I think with great focus although maybe maybe if it was good enough it wouldn't happen but uh, when I said like my bicep um, came off that in the groove it runs from the shoulder yeah um that happened in bali and i was doing front lever to back lever on the, on a tree um uh, on rings set up over a tree on the beach and it was like a thick branch tree and because of that sort of the way the ring cable went over it was not not quite normal like um the physics of it was a bit different i think because it was a thicker tree so the the cables were wider and then normally they sit half a meter apart the rings but maybe they weren't quite that you know you anyway, know because i'd never trained at this tree before but it was on the very last set i was pulling out of a back lever and there was just, there was just a rip and like before that i couldn't i don't think i was feeling like some kind of tension that would indicate relax and then also i was thinking um yard again the guy that tore his bicep doing um yeah, he sl- he just I think he just slightly changed the position of his hands during like a a planche hold, and um, I'm well I, we could ask him, but I I is it a matter of hey man hey man did you feel anything or were you were you really focused and listening or because um, I imagine he could have been just doing a, real, a normal set thinking about it all yes and it's those scary things where you don't feel anything and it just happens I wonder we we should ask him that but from my memory. Um, yeah, I wonder if I could have been more focused and sensed this and then avoided it um I'm not sure at the moment, yeah,
1: yeah, so it seems like deep, deep listening um listening to your body, having um being very connected to what you're feeling yeah. again, this is um very much in line with what we were talking about yesterday, cultivating your interiority, yeah. And actually, what came up for me was um, thinking about how a midlife crisis is an injury of sorts. Where sometimes I feel that what happens there is that you didn't listen to yourself for so long. <laughs> and eventually you go, But I have the house and the kids and the white picket fence, and what happened? Um, you can't take it anymore. And eventually a mental injury does happen. And you know, it's interesting, um, I, I was talking to my brother the other day about how with physical injuries, it's so obvious what you need, what needs to be, like first of all, it's obvious when you roll your ankle. People go, well, you need a rest or whatever. But for mental injuries, because they're not visible, um, there's often very little to no rehab, very little to no sympathy for yourself and for other people. It's incredibly difficult to see mental scars. So in the same way that you gain um uh that in you know, with physical domains you need to gain an awareness of like, does my shoulder feel weird? Does my elbow feel weird? To gain that kind of insight about, you know, why do I feel strange around this person? Or when I feel th- when I do this thing, why do I feel
0: exhausted? <laughs> mm.
1: Why do I feel anxious?
0: Why do I feel butterflies?
1: What do I yeah, why do I feel butterflies, you know?
0: Um I think that's always an awesome thing yes whatever's going on in that moment that's special
1: (laughs) butterflies yeah yeah Yeah, but to to cultivate an awareness of like we were talking about the other day about how it is a it is deep and difficult work to figure out it's not trivial to figure out how you feel about something
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: it's deep and difficult work to, to figure out that out for yourself yeah and so that what is here. Um, is is not only what's happening outside. You know, oftentimes we think about, you know, the, with the child that's kind of looking out and trying to get an awareness of the world. It's actually only half of the world. You have a totally inner world and it's important to cultivate um, a connection to that world as well. Um, it's in, just in that, a
0: world In your body and also your mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What you're feeling... What you're feeling not just what you're seeing out there, but what you're feeling. Yeah. And yeah, those those two things need to be harmonized. Um, they're at least as important. And I would say that maybe the inter- internal world is more more important. Yeah. I mean we know that circumstances matter less than mindset, for instance, in terms of one's life satisfaction.
0: Yeah. Mm. One thing I wanted to say, um tying back to the ten day retreat, you mentioned one thing that uh your mind was telling you was like, well, all those things are gonna like you know you're not all the things back in the real world need your attention, right or they're gonna be yep. chaotic or destroyed yeah um it's cool to hear you say that because uh and I realize um I've been to burning man twice Mm -hmm. and in a way that's a meditation Mm -hmm. maybe i'm the informal meditator where like i said i had that experience when i was sitting at the beach Mm and i I wasn't going there to meditate it just happened uh and uh, and then just me enjoying the beauty of the world randomly Mm. somewhat meditating training gymnastics meditating when i was at burning man it's it's about a 10 day uh, no maybe sorry seven eight days long festival uh, I was thinking ten days because of your retreat but anyway seven or eight days so a significant period of time and uh, they have a lot of unique values um, which we can talk about later which is amazing it makes it a very different um, mm-hmm. existence um, kind of like how the retreat has these rules you can't talk um, don't look at other people's face for example um, mm. with this um, burning men they have yeah it's just these values um and uh yeah like it's like radical self-expression um basically accepting whoever is in front of you for what they are and also trying to be your authentic Mm. self um there's also no money which is interesting how that changes Mm. things um and there's unconditional gifting so people just give you gifts and that's it like it's no there's no barter they don't expect anything. It's just they give a give. And that's amazing in terms of gratitude because you just feel so much gratitude. Anyway, there's also typically, and this isn't even a rule, but it's just people respect it is like, you just don't take your phone. There's no reception out there anyway. Um, but uh, that is, it's cool. Cause I was like, all right, that's going to be really interesting. Cause I obviously use my phone every day all the time. Um, and it means that I cannot contact anyone. Um, and I I run my own business so um, when you run your own business as opposed to working for someone else when you can say I'm going on leave and then just not worry about things it's your business so if you don't reply to the email or the text when there's a problem like that, that could lead to you know or your mind can make up all kinds of problems like that could ruin the business and whatever um and so but it was cool because going into Burning Man I was like well if that happens that happens you know yeah. and, and so we we made the best plans we could um, to tell people we're not going to be contactable you know um, I'll try to um, prepare some things ahead of time um, to get things like super ready for a week without me um, yeah and it was interesting for me man like cause, so you say when you came back to um, reality it was a uh, yeah, you maybe should have weighted yourself in more. I feel like I um I adapt super quickly and it doesn't really bother me anyway. So because with the phone thing, for example, so I went from using my phone like a normal person to no phone at all, and I was instantly like, yeah, sweet, you know, mm-hmm. like I I was curious, am I going to miss it? Um, am mm-hmm. I going to be reaching for it? But not at all. Like mm-hmm. I was just in the moment with people enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, and and. It, uh, that was also funny for me to hear you say you were you're were sitting in silence meditating and thinking um oh, all these things they need my attention they're gonna like mm-hmm. um there's gonna be problems if I don't address them and just leave them um yeah i I had that same kind of feeling maybe going into Burning Man and maybe when I was there like kind of every now and then maybe I was thinking, well, I hope things are going smoothly out there but yeah I, there's probably I guess more distractions than that to but I had just I had that same feeling, and I just accepted it. And then what was I found really interesting was when I when we when you come out of Burning Man and I turn my phone on, it's all good. You know, there's not really anything that's, you know, it's all good. People people can wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things can wait. Um, yeah. So that was cool. And that's, I think I um, learned some of those things you learned from your meditation camp from Burning Man Mm. I also encourage people to go to Burning Man it's (laughs) it's incredibly unique experience Um, yeah and it's um, I I, yeah also um, it was interesting on that I was um, when I went there the second time I was really like I'm keen to just like uh, you know um, not have any plans and just go with it and and journal i wanted to journal every day yeah um and so it was very much about um mindfulness and meditation in a sense right like just being aware um, of how i'm feeling and uh, in the moment and and being here that's absolutely what i was trying to do there um but yeah there were so many um interesting things happening that they themselves were um overwhelming in a way like Mm. almost distracting and i didn't Mm. i didn't have much time to journal which was Mm. crazy because i'd have to go out and make the time to journal and then i Mm. you know it was it was funny because i i was aware like i'm not really doing anything but i'm Mm. still really busy this Mm. is odd yeah
1: Mm. you know what comes up for me is like how people will sometimes say well it would be nice if there would be a society like that but it's not sustainable but I, I I think it is I think that that's a self limiting story mm. that um people are fundamentally bad, and that if you give they won't give anything in return
0: all oh, right, the unconditional gifting mm.
1: uh, well all of those you know it would be yeah, nice you know yeah. imagine if burning man wasn't this um one off rare experience but was something more commonplace and h- imagine if you would have a society like that, and I think you know basically the um the argument back is like, well, that would be nice, but that's not how people act. And my feeling is that um, actually by default, that is how people are. Maybe that's naive, but as Uh, we... I think you're right, yeah. As we found in the beginning of this podcast, the default position is uh, lovely. And if we could live from that place, I think more often, I think it could have pretty... Like, not just, again, it's for the benefit of not just yourself but for the benefit of all beings you know imagine a society based in that place it's a free place that anybody can go to at any point so imagine if everybody lived from there how much less we feel that we need and therefore how much less productive we feel we need to be
0: Yeah, it's funny that I, to be um, vulnerable you- like i feel uncomfortable about that something about the um almost how you said about pain um uh, it's the expectation that like knowing that this thing is a certain length i'm comfortable to return to my normal life after if that was indefinite i wonder i feel like i'd be uncomfortable about that Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i also wonder if like um if it's like I can keep up that facade for a week this, but that's you know? the thing
1: it doesn't it not—it need not be a facade if yeah. that becomes the natural yeah, state
0: yeah. I'm not even saying it was a facade like as in I um, I understand I was trying to you know just feel it and be authentic um, yeah but I wonder if that if it was prolonged if that would change that
1: this is what I'm getting at that um, there's a feeling that um, there's something you even used the word facade but there's a feeling that there's some that that is somehow not real, not realistic, and um, maybe I'm just thinking. Let's see if we can challenge that.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I'm not saying we can't. It's just, yeah, interesting to think about. I'll need to think deeper on it to have, to have more useful things to say. I'd say. <laughs>
1: Good. Well, that might be a good place to wrap up then. What do you think?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. So again, th- th- everybody that's listening, thank you so much for your time and attention. And uh, till next time, see what's here now when there's no problem to solve.